You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ Family of Churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, as you saw from the video there, we are doing a series right now called Brand New, and uh, Ken started it off last week. It's great to be with you. My name is Brian Craig. As I mentioned earlier, I'm part of the South Bay Church, and I always love coming up here and being with you guys, so it's great to be together. Uh, if you're visiting with us, want to welcome you. Uh, I'm a visitor like you, um, so uh, I'd love to meet you after the service or whatever, but it's great to be together. Uh, so this series, as Ken uh, launched it last week, is called Brand New. And the idea of this series is getting back to what did Jesus establish when he established the church. Because the church has gotten a brand that is not what Jesus intended. And when Jesus came and, and established his church, when he... Uh, came to the earth as God's son and uh, God come near, God in the flesh, Emmanuel come to us and he established his people, he brought something entirely new that the world had never seen before. When it comes to new ideas or new paradigms, we can all sometimes be a little resistant to change, can't we? I find the older I get, the more resistant I am to change because you kind of find your own way and you get a pattern of doing things and it's easy just to sort of settle into things. And I'm grateful in my life to have someone in my life that helps me, that's always, always questioning the way we do everything, and that is my middle child, Marshall Craig. Anybody that knows him, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I have three kids, they're 17, 14, and 11, but Marshall basically came out of the womb with this questioning face, you know, (laughs) his eyebrows were like, and then as soon as he could talk, he was asking why. Uh, And I remember uh, being on a plane uh, with him, and we're getting ready to take off. This is, he could barely talk at this point, but we're getting ready to take off, and so I told him, we've got to move our, our tray tables up and fasten them before we take off. Don't ask me why, we just have to put these up. And he thought for a minute, and looked up at me, and he said, why I can't ask why? <laughs> and that's kind of been uh, our whole relationship, but he's always kind of asking, you know, what about this, what about that, and why this, and why that? And it's good for me, because it makes me rethink the way we do things. Uh, even in the church, he's a part of our tech ministry, and uh, he's revamped different things that we do in our tech ministry, and he's always questioning our, you know, our website and our approach to, to evangelism and different things. He's not a disciple yet. He wants, he's studying the Bible, but, uh, but it's, it's really cool. But churches in, resist, in particular can be resistant to change. And uh, those of you, uh, you know, we, we've been meeting in this location here for the West Side for a long time, but sometimes we move and sometimes we come back. And, but there's different things we try. You know, I remember when we were all down here on the floor, remember that? And, uh, you know, then we tried the screen over here. And now we've got these two screens. Aren't these awesome? Turnwall got these. But, you know, we try different things. And uh, I grew up in, in this church and uh, we're part of what's called the restoration movement. The idea... Uh, even from a couple hundred years ago, was let's try to restore New Testament Christianity. Let's try to get back to what Jesus established. But even in doing that, styles and and approaches change. So I remember being a kid in the church, and it was a lot more solemn. And I remember when people first started hugging at church. Uh, You know, different college students started becoming Christians, and it was kind of, I remember even being a kid feeling like, wow, this is weird, this is a new thing. And it used to be all a cappella singing, no instruments. I remember when uh, we first started using instruments. That was radical. Even before then, when we first started clapping in church, that was crazy. Some of us still can't clap and sing at the same time. Uh, that's okay. You can, just, you can just pick one or the other. But, uh, but you know, we're trying new things. We've got podcasts. We got, Chaz mentioned all these things, Facebook and this and that. And, uh, you know, uh, 
we, we don't have smoke machines yet here, but, you know, maybe we'll bring that in. We try different things. Uh, is that really what the church needs? Is that the way forward? And uh, a lot of churches are trying this stuff. I wanted to show you a video that kind of represents to me what a lot of American Christianity is, is sort of becoming. And see if, see if you relate to anything in this video. Here we go. You can't stop it. It's coming to a town near you. It used to be called contemporary. Some call it relevant. We're so cool, we call it contemporvent. Young, hip guy welcoming all with graphic tee and cool glasses. I welcome everybody with arms wide open, revealing my tattoo so you know I have a past. Quirky transition to band. Invite everyone to stand. Let's do it. This is the song that everyone knows. It's the song that everyone knows. I just want to invite the ushers up as we prepare for our offering. Hmm. Feel free to give if you feel led. It's between you and God, but we're tracking it. One man has all the answers. I have all the answers. Showing a picture of a puppy and or a baby from an impoverished third world nation. Speaking softly to draw you in. And then emphatically, driving home my point. On pause. Whispering. Repetition. Still pausing. Pained expression. Long prayer so that the worship leader can get back on stage. This is the closing song with strings that'll make you cry. Coming soon to your town, a new kind of church. You will be lifted high and challenged to grow. We call that Grotivation. You call this Sunday morning. So what do you think? It's pretty funny, right? I mean, yeah, some of that stuff is what we're trying to do. So, so well, I don't know. I like some of these awards, too. You probably can't read them, but it's, it, it's Winner Papyrus Font Award. You know, if it's, if it's religious, you have to use papyrus font, you know. Winner uh, Dress 
informally dressed pastor award. Now, I like that part. I like not having to wear a tie and uh, being able to preach in jeans once in a while. But anyway, you know, as we're trying these new things, as we're uh, trying to be relevant, trying to be contemporary, trying to be contempervent, uh, you know, th- is that really the answer? Is that what is going to win the world? Is that what's going to change our our societies? That's what's going to change the West Side Church, uh, the West Side community. Uh, is that what the West Side Church wants to become? Is that the answer? And, uh, you know, I think as we look in scriptures, look what Jesus established. I mean, those things are not bad, but that's not really the answer. And the title of the lesson today is The Only Thing. We're going to talk about what what do we need to focus on? What is the one thing we need to focus on when we we talk about being the church that Jesus established? And uh, I appreciate Hanley uh, sharing, and Hanley does a great job leading the worship. Appreciate what he shared about uh, his life, and, and he asked the question, Why do you go to church? And I want to tell you today, don't go to church. And uh, you can go ahead and tweet that if you want. Brian Craig came to our service and said, don't go to church. I'm going to explain why I say don't go to church. And by the end of this sermon, you'll know what I mean when I say don't go to church. Uh, The arrival of Jesus, as I mentioned before, brought something totally new. And it meant the end of something called the temple model. And uh, Ken described this last week. The temple model was something that isn't just in Judaism, but is in all world religions. It was the way of approaching God or gods. Uh, with with the, the scriptures, there, there was a reason for the Old Testament. There was a reason for the temple model. It was to prepare us, it was to prepare people. And Paul, in, in his writings, goes into a lot of explanation of why we had the temple model. But the temple model involved sacred places, sacred texts, sacred men, and sincere followers. Jesus brought something totally new. And Ken talked about this last week. Jesus brought a new covenant. When, he, when they enjoyed the, the last meal together, they were having the Passover meal and they were taking the unleavened bread and the wine. Jesus said, this is a new covenant. He brought new meaning to the Passover. That, that was radical. The Passover was something they had been celebrating for thousands of years. Passover happened in 1400 B.C., so the time of Jesus, they had been celebrating Passover for 1,400 years. Jesus says, now you're going to do this in a whole, for a whole new reason. It's a new covenant. It's in my blood. And it's a whole new way of approaching God. That, that We're not forgiven by following laws. We're not forgiven by our adherence to this, this standard that we can't keep. We're forgiven by the blood of Jesus. Amen? whole new covenant. He brought a new relationship. When Jesus told them to pray in Luke 11, he said, pray, here's how you should pray. Father in heaven, holy be your name. That was radical at the time of Jesus. No one prayed to God as our father. They prayed to God, Yahweh, God, the creator of the universe, the Lord of heaven's armies, the great Jehovah God, the creator of all things. But Jesus says he's your Abba father. And even Abba, the word Abba, it's like the word a baby uses. It's, it's, we, it could be translated daddy, but it's even more, it's even, uh, more intimate than that. It's like, uh, you know how we say dada, like a little baby says dada. That's what Abba was in, in, uh, at the time of Jesus. Abba, Baba. You know, it's the very first words the baby says for his or her father. That's who Jesus said to pray to when we pray to God. He brought a new relationship with God that was not possible before in the temple model. He brought a new movement and I want to talk about this for a minute. This is, this is so huge. This kind of blew my mind when I learned about this. Uh, in, uh, in, in Matthew 16, uh, and Ken showed the scripture last week, 
when, when Jesus says, I, the only time he ever uses the word church, that's translated church in our Bibles, in, is in Matthew 16, when he says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. You guys know that scripture, right? So that word that's translated church, uh, the original word is ecclesia. And the word ecclesia that, that is used in the original text, because the, the New Testament was written in Greek, that word means a gathering or a movement, or it means people. It means, uh, it, it's, it doesn't mean what it's come to mean now. When you ask the average person on the street what, church, what a church is, they think of a building, don't they? And part of the reason is that word church is not even, it's a German word that was inserted into the Bible when it was translated into English. A better translation would be a gathering. And it, because the church never, it never meant a building. It never meant a sacred place. It meant a people. Jesus didn't come to establish a place. He came to establish a people. As Ken read last week, you know, when the woman talked about, well, they, are we supposed to worship here? Are we supposed to worship there? Jesus said, it's not about where you worship. God is looking for worshipers who worship in spirit and truth. When they asked Jesus, where is this kingdom that you're describing? When is this coming? He says, it's not going to come. It's not going to be like, here is the kingdom or there is the kingdom. The kingdom of God is within you. It's among you. You are the kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom and it's a people that he came to establish. That's huge. Because words matter. And so, you know, when I, when I say don't go to church, that, you're starting to get, okay, well, why, why I'm saying that? Because the church is not a place. I remember when I was a little kid, we learned this thing. You guys remember this where you go like this? Here is the church. Here is the steeple. You guys didn't learn this? Okay. Open the doors. See all the people. That's wrong. Don't teach your kids that. This is not a church. The church is this. That is the church. The church is the people. And uh, we were talking about this with our worship team uh, when we were talking about this series and talking about when we invite people to church. And we meet in a high school. And people have a certain reaction sometimes when you, when you invite them and you say you meet in a high school. It's kind of like, oh, you guys are just starting out or you don't have enough money to get a building. Or, you know, there's sort of a, oh, I'm sorry for you kind of, kind of thing, you know, sometimes. Or, or the first thing when you say, I, I'm a minister, they say, oh, what church? But they don't mean, like what I used to say is, oh, the L.A. Church of Christ. Oh, we're in L.A. Well, we don't meet in L.A. We meet in Redondo Beach. Oh, oh, oh why is it the L.A. Church of Christ? You know, like it doesn't, they're thinking a place. So I, we were talking to the worship team, and I said, I like that conversation, because it's, it's a great conversation to say, it's not a place, it's a people. You know, before we met in the high school, we actually used to meet at the Jewish synagogue. Oh, really? Yeah, and before that, we met in a movie theater. Oh, really? Yeah, because we're investing in people, and we're investing in, in, in serving the poor and making an impact in the community. It's not that there's anything wrong with owning a building, but that's not what makes a church. What makes a church is the, the ecclesia, the gathering, the, the movement that Jesus established. He said, I will build my church, my gathering, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Gates don't move, do they? Gates are stationary place. So that means the, the kingdom of God is a movement. It's advancing against the gates of Hades. And the gates of Hades cannot overcome the kingdom of God. I was looking at a, uh, uh, an article about having guests to church, and I you know, read these different things, try to, how do we get guests coming back? And so the article was about how to get guests to come back to church. And it was interesting, though, because this was the picture on the article. And, and so I just thought, that is still just a whole different mentality. It's this old country church building, how to get guests to come back to church. That's not a church. That's a church building, but that's not a church, right? 
Okay, the last thing uh, in the Jesus model, a new command. And this is huge as well. In, in uh, John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus said, A new command I give you. I think we all probably, a lot of us can memorize that know it. Love one another. Say it with me. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. All men will know you are my disciples if, if you love one another. It was a new command to love as Jesus loved. A whole new standard of love. A whole new way of following God. And, and so now, vertical is represented by horizontal. How you love God is how you love people. Remember, didn't Jesus say that? What's going to separate the sheep from the goats? How you treat other people in, in uh, Matthew 24. Now, it's not about how you pray or how you, much you attend church or how, uh, how much you adhere to these commands. Being a follower of Jesus is about how much you love people who are difficult to love. That's what it means to follow God. So that, that's what we're going to talk about today. There's this scripture uh, that Paul says in Galatians 5. He says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is of any value. The only thing, that's the title of the lesson today, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That's the only thing that matters. So we're going to talk a little bit more today about what Paul meant by that. And what I want to try to do is kind of cruise through the book of Galatians and give you some background about the book of Galatians and then give you a little bit of a cruise through history, through church history. So I'm going to cover all of the book of Galatians and all of church history in the next 15 minutes, okay? We're going to try anyway. So I'm going to pray first. And then uh, we'll turn to Galatians and uh, we'll, we'll kind of go through this. Let's pray. God, thank you for uh, the opportunity to get to look into your scriptures. Thank you that we can look at the book of Galatians right now. And uh, just that we could have it on our phone, uh, that we could have access to it on the internet. Uh, it's just amazing how, uh, how you've worked, God, to be able to bring your word to every corner of the gospel. I pray that you would open our hearts and open our minds as we look into these scriptures, as we look into this letter that Paul wrote and how significant it was. I pray it would bring meaning to our lives and our time and our moment right here in human history. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, book of Galatians. This is, most scholars think, the very first book of the New Testament. In, in other words, the very first book that was written at the time of, of Jesus. And this was a very early book, probably written about 47 A.D., and uh, so this was written before the Jerusalem Council, which was in 50 A.D. We're going to talk about that in a minute. There's a debate about that, but I, I'm totally convinced it was before. But anyway, that's another thing if you want to talk to me about that after. So this was an early book. Paul is, this is early Paul's ministry. And who Paul was, it was a, a persecutor of the church. And we'll talk a little bit more about him in a minute. But he planted all these churches in this area known as Galatia. So Galatia was not a city. It was an area in modern-day Turkey. And there's all these churches where he started... Uh, all these places where he started churches, ecclesias, movements, followers of Jesus. After he left, he went back to Antioch, and these other disciples came into these cities, and they were spreading this message that in order to be a Christian, you also must be a Jew. And it was kind of natural that they would think that, because Jesus was a Jew, all of his followers were Jewish, the, uh, the Christian movement was by this, at this point mostly a, Je a Jewish movement. So even though Jesus said, go to all nations, make disciples of everybody, the apostles all stayed in Jerusalem at the beginning. And they were speaking only to Jews. They kind of didn't really get it. And it was only a persecution that kind of got some of the disciples to head out of Jerusalem and then finally start talking to non-Jews. Uh, and, and so uh, Antioch was one of the biggest 
uh, places where a lot of, of non-Jews started becoming Christians. And that's where the, they first started using the term Christian, in fact, that we use today, because before that they were just called disciples. Um, so, anyway, the, these people were saying, you've got to follow the whole law of Moses in order to be a Christian, because that, that's kind of the foundation. It's, it's sort of like, you know, remember when Windows came out and Windows runs on top of DOS? Uh, any, any computer people here? It's like, you've got to have DOS first and then Windows on top. It's like, you've got to have Judaism first and then add Christianity on top, another layer. That's kind of what they were teaching. So they were saying to adult men, you have to be circumcised in order to be saved because you've got to be a Jew. So that's why Paul here in Galatians 5 says, In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision is of any value. Here's what really counts. So we're going to back up and look at the beginning of Galatians and kind of follow his argument through back to this point. So here's a question for you. As we go through this, though, this isn't just a history lesson. I want you to think about us today. And what I want you to think about is if... Temple model thinking could sneak back into the church that early, as early as 47 A.D. The church is only a decade old. If, if temple model thinking could sneak back after a couple, you know, 10 years, or even the, those churches were only a few years old, couldn't it happen to us today? Couldn't we slip into thinking like the temple model instead of the Jesus model? It absolutely could happen to us today. And so Paul's warnings to the Galatians are just as applicable to us today. So early in, in the book, uh, in, in, Galatia, uh, in Galatians 1, he says, you were, you were diverting from the Jesus model. And the thing about the Jesus model is that it's way less complicated, but it's far more demanding. And, and what I mean by that is, if you really think about just that command, to love as Jesus loved, that's a challenging command if you really think about it. And I think our problem is that we've heard it so much, We've heard, yeah, love, love. Mark Steberg preached about this, and he said, even when he first approached this lesson, and he was thinking about, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. It just sort of sounds fluffy. Oh, yeah, we just need to love each other. And he's like, I want conviction. I want, oh, you've got to do this, and you've got to do that. And it just seems so easy. I feel like I'm watering it down. But then as he really looked through Paul's argument and really looked through what, what it really means to, to follow the Jesus model, he was challenged. He said, this is actually way harder. And just going, I'm a Christian because I do this and I do that and I go here and I attend regularly and I give. and I, It's way more challenging to go, I need to be like Jesus every day. That's way, way more challenging. So here's what he said here in the beginning, Galatians 1, if you want to turn there. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. As I mentioned, this was happening fast. And so if it, if it could happen to them, it could happen to us. And the, these men, he says, some people are trying to throw you into confusion. They're, they're t- teaching you things that are not the gospel message. And, and Paul gets pretty ticked about this. As I mentioned, this is his first letter that he ever wrote. He's, he's a young Christian. And he has a lot of fire and a lot of zeal. And he says, I wish those people would go to hell. That's what he says. Uh, Galatians 1, verse 8 and 9. Not only does he say it once, he says it twice. And there's different translations of it. The modern one says, may they be under God's eternal curse or something like that. He's saying, I want them to be cursed by God forever. What is that? That's go to hell. I wish those guys would go to hell. He says some strong things in Galatians. In fact, at one point, uh, you know, he talks about these, these guys of the circumcision group that say you have to be circumcision, circumcised. He says, I wish they would go all the way and emasculate themselves. That's what Paul says in Galatians 5. He's pretty fired up about this, this, 
this, uh, that we've got to be true to the Jesus model, isn't he? And so he's ticked off, but he gives a little bit of his background. He says, I want you to know about my way of life and where I came from. In verse 13, he says, you've heard about my previous way of life, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and I tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age, and I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. If anybody knew the temple model, it was Paul. Paul was the best of the best when it comes to Jewish students. And the way the Jewish students learned uh, to read and write, they just memorized the Old Testament. That was their education. So they, Paul had Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy memorized. Have you ever, ever read? I'm, I'm challenged by just reading Leviticus. <laughs> Imagine having to memorize it. So Paul knew the law inside and out, and he was, he's like, I was better than anybody else at following the law. He was the student of Gamaliel, the best of the best of the best of the Jewish teachers. And, and so he's, he knew the temple model well. And so you've got to understand that background. But he was converted to Christianity, and he saw that he was totally off in his thinking when Jesus appeared to him. And so then what happens is he tells this story about when Peter came to Antioch. Now, who was Peter? Uh, Cephas is, an, is the, uh, another word for Peter. Uh, that's the original word that Jesus used in Aramaic. Uh, Peter is the Greek word. So Jesus called Peter Little Rock. That was his, his, his name was Simon. He called him Little Rock. That's what Peter means, a little, or Cephas, a little rock. And so uh, he was, he was Jesus' main guy, right? We probably know that. He's one of his best friends, his main guy. He comes to Antioch to see how things are going there. The church, Paul's a, an important part of the church there. And so he tells this story. He says that when, when Peter came to Antioch, at first he was hanging out with all the Gentiles. Then these other Jews come up from Jerusalem, where James, the, the brother of Jesus is. They come up, and then suddenly Peter distances himself from the Gentiles and only hangs out with the Jews. And so uh, Paul says, when, when he did this, when Peter did this, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. You know, Paul throws Peter under the bus for all of history, right there. And he tells the story of what happened. But, but here, here's the thing that's so amazing, is that uh, this, this, here's what he says to, to Peter, and then we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about it. He says, We who are Jews by birth, not sinful Gentiles, know a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Christ Jesus. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, so we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works. No more temple model. It's the Jesus model now, Peter. And a little before this, he says, you live like a Gentile anyway. So why are you trying to make the, these Gentiles be Jews? You're not even a very good Jew. And so uh, what happens after this is in three years later, in 50 AD, it's recorded in the book of Acts, Acts 15, Peter comes to, to Jerusalem. They're, they have this big council because this is becoming an issue all over the place. Do the Gentiles have to be Jews or not? Do they have to become Jews? And so they have this council and it's a who's who of the kingdom comes together there in Jerusalem. And Peter stands up and he says this exact argument right, right here. This argument from Galatians, Peter gives in Acts. So to me it just seems like Peter, I love that Peter, even though he's the big cheese, he's, he's Jesus' number one guy, he listens to Paul. And, and we all need each other. We all need each other's influence. We need each other's help. And, and even though Paul is like throwing Peter under the bus here for everybody, Peter was like, okay, you're right, Paul. And this is exactly what he says to the group. He says, we, we Jews, we haven't been able to follow the law. 
Why are we going to make them follow the law? We haven't been able to do it. So we've got to go by the Jesus model. Uh, he doesn't use that terminology, but that's essentially what Peter says. And this is the last part I want to talk about of what Paul says to Peter. I think a lot of us know this verse. If not, I want to memorize it today, and I'm going to help you with that. But uh, this is interesting because this is what... This is part of Paul's dialogue to Peter. Paul tells Peter, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the Jesus model. It's not about, I have to follow this law, I have to follow this, I've got to you know, dot this I and cross this T, I've got to do this and do that to be a Christian. It's, I don't even live anymore, I died. And now Jesus lives in me. That's the Jesus model. You never, you never, that's something that's going to challenge you the rest of your life, isn't it? You never kind of arrive at the Jesus model. It's like you become more and more and more like Christ. That's what Paul says is so beautiful about the Jesus model, is that we're renewed every day, day by day. We're becoming more and more like Jesus. We're being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. The fruits of the Spirit, there's no law. They, they, you can have more joy and more peace and more patience and more kindness. There's no law against such things. You just become more and more and more like Christ. That's the Jesus model. It's glorious and it's wonderful. But so many of us slip into this model of Christianity that's just kind of going through the motions. And just kind of the same year after year. and You know, doing the bare minimum or whatever kind of our mindset is. That's not what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be invigorating. It's supposed to be renewing. It's supposed to be... Uh, a life spring from within. Uh, as, as Ken mentioned last week, Jesus said, I'm going to bring you springs of living water from within you, flowing up from within you. That's the Jesus model. And so I want to uh, memorize this together. Who has this memorized? Raise your hand if you haven't memorized. Oh, man. Okay, we've got to memorize it. We're going to memorize it together. This is a great one to carry around with you because this is, this is Christianity in one verse, isn't it? Are you guys with me? Okay. I'm excited about this, but it doesn't seem like some of you are. I'm excited about this. This is an awesome verse. Oh, man, there we go. And um, so how I learned this verse was a song. Some of you guys might know it. It's the King James Version, but it's fine. It, it was written in, in Greek anyway. So this is old, old, old English, but it's good. So we're, I'm going to sing this. We're going to sing it together. If you know it, sing it with me. We're going to sing it a few times, and you're going to go away with this verse memorized today. Okay. So it goes like this. I have been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ, who liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.